Thank you so much for joining me in today's live broadcast. I know that you're going to be blessed and impacted by this, the gospel of God's unconditional love. I want to welcome all the first-time viewers to watch this live broadcast, or even if you watch this in the archive, you are so welcome. I want to welcome all the web members of Dynamic Web Church and say you are welcome. Enjoy this message and let the gospel of Jesus Christ touch your life and impact you. <coughs> I've come to know and understand and experience in my own life that the more you hear the gospel of grace, the more the gospel of grace bears fruit in your life. And that it's not a matter of man trying to bear the fruit of the gospel, but it is the, the gospel bearing the fruit in us. And so many times we start to feel and experience the emotions of love and of the gospel in our hearts and we don't know how to let it flow through and we must just give over. If you want to, if you feel in your heart that you want to show love towards somebody or uh, give to somebody or do, do something that's in line with the character of God, then just do it because that is the fruit of the gospel working in your heart. Amen. <clears throat> now, um, before we get into the word, I just want to bring under your attention that when you go on gracestreamtv.com or on you, on the player, you can see um, there's, there's a button that says on demand. You just can, you can also click on menu there um, or on the on demand button there, and uh, you can see all the messages that is uploaded in the timeline. Um, it's categorized properly, so you can just click on whosoever you want to see there, and uh, the same message that's in the timeline is also in the on demand, and you can watch it right there. We are also going to change the time of our live broadcast from 2 o'clock um, in the afternoons to 10 o'clock in the morning. It's just going to be more convenient for me. So um, if you can't make it that time, just whenever it's available, for, whenever you're available to watch it, go to the on-demand part and just watch it there. It's as easy as that. So um, yeah, that's what I want to say concerning that. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. <coughs> Philippians chapter 4. And uh, we're going to read... From, um, let me just find the right verse here, verse 10, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10. It says from verse 10, but I, rejoice in, uh, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, but I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to, how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to, be, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Notwithstanding, you have done well um, that you did communicate with my affliction. Uh, now I want to go to verse 18. <coughs> verse 18. It says, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor, a sweet smell, a sacrifice, acceptable and well-pleasing to God. Verse 19, But my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. Right, this is a, a, a very um, well-balanced well uh teaching that we can that we see here and how Paul taught people concerning finances and what was in his heart when it came to money. You know, so many times when we live in this world we've got this thing of, you know, finances is just 
um, this thing that you work for all the time and it determines your value, it determines who you are in Jesus Christ and all those type of things. It does not. <coughs> what you possess does not determine who you are. Uh, who possesses you determines who you are. And you are possessed by God, by the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. He indwells you. Uh, you're part of His body. Uh, Christ lives in you. If you are not uh, uh, believing in Jesus Christ, if you're not a believer, you are represented in Jesus Christ. So you were <coughs> excuse me, in the cross when Jesus died for you. You were in His resurrection when He was resurrected because He did it on your behalf. Uh, so you were represented in what He did. But if you want Christ to indwell you, you need to believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit comes and He indwells you. And as you believe in Him, the power of God manifests in you. Today we're going to talk more about that in, um, in, in our teaching concerning commitment. God's commitment to man and man's commitment to, com, uh, commitment to God. For there's a commitment that God has towards us and there's a commitment that we will have towards God as well. <clears throat> but uh, more about that later after the worship. So, um, what we see here is that Paul comes and he says, when it comes to finances, clearly that, uh, you know, I thank God that you gave towards me. That you, um, and, and then he said, the purpose and what I wanted to see in you is the gospel-bearing fruit. And I want to testify um, to this in my own heart as well. You know, we, <clears throat> I don't want to go and manipulate people for money in any place where I preach, in web church or in, um, in a church we, we have in uh, Belleville, in Cape Town or anything. We don't want to manipulate people for finances. But what I have in my heart is to see, um, you know, the gospel starting to bear fruit in the lives of people. Because if we manipulate and push people and, and, and to, to give, then what happens there, even if they give, even if, if that is beneficial for the ministry and towards other people, um, you know, it is not a fruit of the gospel. It is a fruit of you feeling sorry for others and, and um, you just feeling obligated to do that and, and, and me putting pressure on you to do that. And that's what Paul said, you know, he didn't have this thing of, well, <clears throat> you know, you must now give and, uh, you know, otherwise the church is not going to survive. And, and we can see this clearly here. He was even willing and empowered by God to go through hard times um, until the people would start to bear fruit, you know, until the word would start to bear fruit in the lives of people. Now, what I want to say there is, um, and I want you to understand what I'm saying, and I want to and I want to just teach this properly this morning, is that the gospel does bear fruit in the area of generosity. The gospel does bear fruit in the area of feeling compassion towards those that are poor and those that are struggling. So when you hear the gospel of God's unconditional love and His grace, what we can expect is for the nature of God to start to um, manifest in our lives. And that is what Paul also says. He says, clothe yourself with these things. Then he gives a, a lot of good attributes, you know, a, a good things that's, that can be in the life of a Christian. He says, clothe yourself with these things. So how do we clothe ourselves with those things? Um, the way I believe we clothe ourselves, it's literally, well, the Greek would literally, doesn't say, well, clothe yourself by now trying to put this on. Although the English says, put this on. 
he says, put on uh, bowels of compassion, put on this, put on that, and he mentions a lot of things um, in the Bible. That word put on in the Greek means to sink into. Now, how much effort do you take to sink into a bath of water? You know, when you get into the bathtub, you don't use effort. You know, it's just the gravity, it's gravity and your own weight that causes you to sink into that. So, and, and I want to say it in this very same way. When you hear the gospel of God's unconditional love, there is a, a drawing power in your spirit towards the lifestyle of God. And when you experience that drawing power, give over. Just sink into that. Let it have its way. So, um, if you feel in your heart, when it comes to giving and finances, those type of things, that there's a drawing power in your spirit to give towards something, man, sink into that. Allow it in your life. Um, so many times, just through our culture, we've been taught, you know, you don't just give something away, because um, that's wrong. And, what I've also seen is, is, because we've been so hurt by the law message, that we say, well, um, you know, I've been manipulated so much by by this um, the message on finances and whatever. We basically uh, sank into a rebellion, saying, well, you know, I'm never going to do anything like that and whatever. And now you feel a prompting in your heart already, but it's almost as if, if, if I'm going to give now, I'm back under the old school of sowing and reaping and tithing. Because, uh, and because many times under the old school we've been taught, you know, if you give, um, then God's going to bless you. We associate giving and sharing and being generous with that old school and being under the law, thinking that if I give, I'm under the law, which is not true. Uh, we must remember that we get the works of, the, um, we get dead works and then we get good works. Dead works and good works is exactly the same work but from a different belief system. Uh, a good work is a work, let's say, let's take giving for instance. You see somebody in the street and you feel you want to give him a hundred rand or uh, whatever amount you can think of now. You, you want to give him that money. And you, um, the one person gives it because he feels, the Bible says, you must care for the poor. And now he goes and he does that because he doesn't, doesn't want to stand guilty before God. The other person does that because of a revelation of the value of that person because of the cross of Jesus Christ. But to the spectator, it looks exactly the same. Each guy gives the beggar something. So, um, but the heart, the motive of the heart is different. And that's what Paul talks about. And I want to encourage you, when it comes to the word, when you study the word, forget about finances, any area of your life. When you study the word on how much God loves you, on how merciful God is towards you, you can open your heart for the working of the Spirit in your life. Open your life. And that's what the Bible says. You know, let's give our members for righteousness. Let's give our life, our body, for the works of the Holy Spirit in our body. So we believe that we are the righteousness of God. But when you feel that prompting, you know, it's, it's like I, um, last night I... I went and uh, visited some friends. We watched the rugby and everything. And we started to talk about finances. And uh, the people that, that, that I fellowshiped with there are all businessmen. <clears throat> so, um, the one guy said, and he, and he mentioned something that's so true. He said that he's got a friend that drives a brand new uh, uh, pickup. And this guy's now going to sell this pickup 
and buy a, a much cheaper one, but also new and reliable and whatever, but much cheaper. Um, and he's going to drive around with us now. And we were talking about um, people giving money to the poor and distributing blankets and food, especially it's becoming winter now in South Africa, and they were giving out blankets in the, in the poor area here. And um, so, and, and what I saw was this guy, and what I got out of it was he was selling his vehicle, and he's to buy a cheaper vehicle that can also meet his need so that he could give towards the poor. Now, to me, there's nothing wrong with it. To me, I just see the fruit of the Spirit in that. But my friend said, he thinks that this guy gives out of guilt. He feels, well, how can he drive such a thing if there's poor people? So he, he's got guilt in his heart. Now, if, if he did it out of guilt, I believe it's wrong. Um, you should not give out of guilt. Don't sell your stuff out of guilt or obligation, feeling you're not guilty towards the poor, because you are not their God. You can give towards them, that's right. But if you walk around with guilt, give out of guilt, God has come to set you free from guilt, my friend. The Christianity is not there so that you can live in guilt. It's to set you free from guilt. Um, but I also saw that when a person um, gets, uh, gets start to live in such liberty that he's set so free from worldly possessions that he says, well, this other vehicle can also meet my need. I can, it's reliable, it's got a comfortable ride, I can, I can still do everything I need to do, and it's much cheaper on fuel, so let me sell the expensive one so that I can give to the poor. I believe, if, if he doesn't do that out of guilt, it is a work of the Spirit that is in his heart. And um, so many times with a Western culture and Western mindset, we've got this thing that gain is godliness. The more I possess, the more godly I am, which is not always the truth. So, I want to say to you, um, maybe you've got friends that will look at you and say, you know, if I sell this thing, or if I do this thing, or, uh, um, you know, I feel the, the prompting of the Spirit to do something, they can say, well, I'm going backwards in life, or this or that. Forget about that. Forget about what they say. If you want, the, if you feel the prompting of the grace message... I don't even want to say the voice of God. Forget all the, the, those things. You know, sometimes you've got this, God told me I must go and give this or that or whatever. Yes, it's good if God tells you and um, if God speaks to you. But it's like, you know, my wife and I, we spoke last night. We don't want to tell the kids all the time, now go and pick up your clothes and put it there and go and pack out the dishwasher and go and do this. Sometimes you want in their heart just for them to do it by themselves. So you want the example that you've set and the influence that you have as parents into their lives that it comes naturally, that we don't tell them everything. And so many times we wait for God telling us everything. Now that is almost under the law. Because under the law there was a commandment, do this, do this, do this, do this. But under grace it's the nature of God living in you, man. So so many times we wait for God to give us this voice. But you've long ago felt the prompting to do it. And that is the way God speaks today. It is giving you His very nature. So when it comes to, um, to finances and giving, this is what Paul was talking about. I am so glad that I am seeing the fruit of the gospel in your life. Amen. So please don't feel that I say, um, you know, if you don't give, you're not bearing fruit or whatever. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. All that I'm saying is, is if you're at the place where you feel the, 
that word working in your life. Use freedom. Don't think you're under the law because you give. Don't feel that um, you're never going to have if you give. God is a provider. He will always meet your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He's not going to meet your needs according to your giving by your tithing and your faithfulness. He's going to meet your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So, know that very thing. And then I want to just mention something else. Um, We are not blessed because we give. We are not blessed because we give. But, when we give to somebody else, that person is blessed. And he sees what you've done as a blessing of God. So, my giving towards somebody else is God's blessing in their life. And don't underestimate what you can do for somebody else. So, um, if you've got somebody in your family, if you've got somebody close to you that you feel, I want to help, if it's this ministry or whatever church you are part of, if you feel in your heart, by the fruit of the gospel, not the fruit of the manipulation of the pastor, that you want to give, live, let the gospel have its way in you. And, and this is what he, he says, live by the Spirit. You know, let the Spirit message... Once you feel that change of nature, just give over to it, you know. Um, Don't have your mind still stuck in the law. Um, And the other thing is, don't underestimate what that which you do can, um, the the implication of that in the life of another person. Verse 18 here. Um, Basically, just put verse 18 on there, Philippians 4.18. It says, But I have all, and I abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. Now, this is very important. Um, uh, uh, what he's saying here is that it was a sweet-smelling sacrifice. And so now many people say, you know, that you see there are sacrifices in the New Testament. This was just the way in which Paul spoke um, in that time. You know, because they saw, and he was speaking of a sweet-smelling sacrifice. And sweet-smelling sacrifice wasn't a sacrifice, it was acceptable to God. Now, the only sacrifice that was acceptable to God um, was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So, what he was actually saying here was that what you did was a fruit of Jesus Christ. A fruit of the gospel. So, if something is a fruit of the gospel, it's acceptable to God. If it's not a fruit of the gospel, (laughs) it's a fruit of the law, it's not acceptable to God, even if it's the very same thing. Even if the deed is the same deed. Amen. So, I want to say to you, that Paul's life was full. He said, I've, I've got no need in the finances now. He says here um, in verse 18, but I have all and I abound. So he was abounding. He was full because he's received what was given by them th- um, through this guy that came and brought the stuff called Epaphroditus. So um, I want to say to you, don't underestimate the power that there is in the actions that flows in your life, the fruit that there is in your life. Amen. Let's just uh, go to one more scripture, Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Um, I must just now find the exact verse there. didn't plan to read this, but let's just have a look. Uh, verse 4. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. It says, Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, 
that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when you were, verse 5, for when you were in the flesh, the motions of sin which were by the Lord did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. So what is he saying here in verse 4 and 5? He says that we are married to Christ so that we might bring forth fruit unto God. Hallelujah. You know, to me, a life that is without fruit is a dead life. Imagine I must only have this knowledge of, you know, um, well, I'm the righteousness of God, but I live like hell. I will always be in a battle um, in my spirit between trying to renew my mind into the gospel. But let the gospel have its way in our life. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's just pray together. And after the prayer, we're going to go into worship. And I, I believe just this is almost enough just for today. It's just blessed me so much. Just to see this gospel bearing fruit in our lives. Hallelujah. Father, I want to thank you that we can come with such a boldness when it comes to finances. And when it comes to receiving, we know and we've been speaking about that for a year and a half. Just on how we receive because of the cross. But thank you that this message also bears fruit in our hearts when it comes towards giving. That we can live the nature of God and be set free from self-centeredness and be set free from being stingy and live the fruit of the gospel. And I thank you, Lord, that we don't judge ourselves by our works, but our lives is is the only place. Our words, what we speak, our lives is the platform you have where we can portray the resurrected Christ. And we willingly give our lives as a platform where you can manifest and show forth the results of your resurrection power. Thank you for that. And we rest in that and we allow our lives into that. And I thank you, Father, I can pray for people that are, maybe there are many people listening to this struggling financially. I speak over you the greatest gift when it comes to finances, which is contentment in Jesus' mighty name. That you will be content, you will be happy, you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be, uh, to, to do all things. That you have the ability to do all things. To When you are in prosperity, to know how to handle that and be in great joy. And when you are uh, abased, when you have nothing, that you will have great joy and great boldness in that. Not being ashamed of the situation, but rejoicing in the work of Christ. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to go into the worship right now, so just enjoy these songs. Sing together. If you don't like singing alone, (laughs) just enjoy it and let the words just um, confirm, you know, uh, what I've just said to you in your heart. Amen. Well, thank God that we can worship from a foundation of God's unconditional love, His mercy and His grace. Amen. Well, we're going to go over to the message and uh, I would like to preach on commitment. Um, You know, so many times when we hear the word commitment, then we feel in our hearts, oh God, you know, this is, now I am back into works. You know, I must now commit myself to God. I must commit myself to the pastor and to the cell leader and to church and uh, even to web church. They're going to come later on with some type of a commitment <coughs> where they're going to manipulate me and force me to do something for God. Um, the greatest thing that I've seen in the life of the Apostle Paul is he had the skill, and it, it's almost like an 
art form. He he knew exactly how to take the gospel of grace and preach it in such a way that it empowers a Christian's life unto God's life way of living and God's lifestyle. And that is what we must know. We should never be ignorant concerning the fact that the gospel will bear fruit in our lives. So when we talk about commitment and... um, when, whenever you watch uh, uh, Grace Stream TV or you watch our live broadcast, go onto our website. When you hear a word like commitment or uh, like in finances, giving or anything, don't let the first thing that come to your mind be, oh well, you know, here's the law. Because that means you're law-minded. You know, you're so mindful of what is law and what is not law. Let me tell you this way. If you hear, you, you can know for sure that this, uh, this church that we've got, Web Church, is grace-based. Um, I'm not going to manipulate you. Uh, it, it's not a thing of trying to get people to change their lives. It's not what it's about. When we say the word commitment, what you must hear in your spirit is, thank God, for I'm going to see how the life of God lives in me, free from my efforts and my works. Amen. Um, I believe every one of us want to see the manifestation of Jesus Christ in our lives. You know, when, when I come to a sick person, I want to see the manifestation of Jesus Christ in my life to see that person healed. When I, when, when I see somebody do something wrong, wrong me in some way, what I want to see manifest in my life is the fruit of the Spirit, which is long-suffering, kindness. I want to forgive the guy. And I want to forgive him, forgive him biting my lip Saying, well, you know, I'll forgive you. I want to feel that love. And, and it's like um, I visited one of my friends in Berdastorp and he said he found that forgiveness is not this thing of, well, I decide to forgive you. He just finds that he's not angry. He's, he's just like, I'm not upset with the guy. And then he announces that he has forgiven him. And that is what we're talking about when it comes to commitment. Now, the first thing that we must know about commitment is the commitment of God towards man. Now, God's commitment towards you is not founded in His willpower. God's commitment towards you is founded in God being a human being. You know, so many times we've got this thing, you know, God is somewhere out there and then Jesus Christ is just just a human being, but he's not God as well. We must know one thing for sure that the Bible says you will the name of Jesus will be everlasting Father, Counselor, Prince of Peace, the Mighty God. So that is the name of Jesus. What is the name of God in human flesh? What's God's name in human flesh? His name is Jesus. Amen. Now that is very very powerful. If you can know that God is also Jesus, Jesus is God. Because that is the commitment that God has towards you. Um, now, you might say, Bert, I don't understand. Let's just go to 1 Corinthians and we're going to read there. Let's get the right verse. Um, let's read from verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5. It says, <clears throat> That in everything you are enriched by Him, in all utterance and in all knowledge. So what it says is we must be enriched by him. Verse 6. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to verse 8 and 9. It says, Who shall confirm you unto the end, 
that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, that is a very, very powerful, powerful scripture. Um, it says clearly there that we've been called into the fellowship of His Son. And that is the commitment and the faithfulness that God has towards us. The commitment and the faithfulness that God has towards you is the fellowship that you have in His Son. So the power, and I, I wrote it down here, the power, of un, the, the, the power of unity God has with man in the fact that God is a man, Jesus Christ, is the power of God's commitment to man. The power that keeps Jesus Christ the Son of God and God. That is the power of God's commitment demonstrated towards you. Hallelujah. The way God is committed to be a human being in the resurrected Jesus Christ, sit at the right hand of God, the Father, which in Jesus is also God, talking about three being one which we cannot understand in our normal human mind. The fact that, that for Jesus, let me put it this way, for God not to be committed to you and to be faithful towards you, He has to cease to be Jesus. Jesus has to lose being godly and God. He has to lose His place in heaven for God not to be faithful towards you, for God not to be committed towards you. Your commitment, the commitment of God, is in the fellowship that we have in His Son. Let's just read that again. Let's read from verse 5, and I'm going to ask Bethel to keep it there, um, just for a while on verse 5. It says there, that in everything you are enriched by Him, in all utterance and in all knowledge. Now, it says, now look at the words, it says that in everything... You are enriched by Him. Now, when it says by Him, don't think just by what is done. It's by who He is. By who He is, we are enriched in all utterance and in all knowledge. Let's go to verse 7. Oh, sorry, verse 8. It says, Who shall also confirm you unto the end that you might be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are blameless by what? By Jesus. And then verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, um, that, is, <laughs> that is so, so powerful. So, God's faithfulness is directly connected to... Um, the fellowship we have with God in Jesus Christ. So, the fact that God became a human being and that Jesus Christ is our representative, which is also the Son of God, which is God. Jesus said, when they looked at Him, they said, show us the Father. He said, haven't you seen Me? Don't you know that I am in the Father and the Father is in Me? And that we are 100% one. Although we are two, we are 100% in unity and one. In the same way, we are one with Jesus Christ. And the commitment that God has towards man to keep us blameless, above reproach, with the very righteousness of God, is found in the fact 
that God will forever be in human form, seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty. Man, isn't that awesome? So, for you to say, well, God's not committed to me, you know, God is now tomorrow going to be angry with me, what you're actually saying is, well, Jesus has lost His godliness. What you're actually saying is, Jesus has sinned and fallen from glory. And is under the power of Satan. So, God's commitment is not seated in His willpower to be good to you today. Now, um, the reason why I say it that way is just to, to, to uh, kill some holy cow that people have, and that is to say, you know, I hope God feels that He wants to bless me today. It's not for God to feel that um, if, if He wants to bless you or not. God brought a system by which He's committed towards us, which is outside His feeling, which supersedes what He feels today. And that we can find even with Moses. He came to Moses and he said to Moses, well, I want to just show you who I am. And he said, well, I'm merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. Then Moses said, listen, if this is who you are, on the basis of your very being and who you are, come and live amongst us a sinful people, because that's where you can be yourself and pardon our sins. Then after a while, God got, up, got upset. And he said, well, I'm going to now kill these people. And, but he brought something to Moses that was greater than what he felt when he saw the people sin. And it was his very nature and being which he said, on this basis I'll live amongst you. Now, something much greater than just Moses, which was simply a word, happened to us, which is the very sacrifice of God's Son, which died he rose again, is seated at the right hand of majesty forevermore in glorified human flesh, representing us, making us in the very likeness and image of God. Amen. And, and God said, well, because of this, because I have sworn in Christ by, he, he had an oath, and we're going to look at that all, all that in the book of Hebrews now. He had an oath and he, and, and he said, well, I give my son and the high priest that I make him is with, in, in accordance with the power of an endless life. What that means is, I, I give your representative and your high priest, which is Jesus Christ, which represents you 100%, the power of an endless life. So the power of God's commitment and God's faithfulness towards you to see you as blameless and holy, always qualifying for blessing, always being righteous, always qualifying for an immortal body at the return of Jesus Christ, is found in the endless life. The immortality that is possessed by the Son of God. <laughs> it's not by how God feels today. Now, I know that God feels good about us and because of Jesus Christ, all our sins has been pardoned and, and been taken away from, from us and that God looks at those that believe in Jesus as absolutely sinless. Now, um, I, I just want to bring something here and you might say it sounds like bad news, but it's not. I want to explain something to you just on that point. Um, I hope I find... Yeah, uh, Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. And verse 1. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, 
where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on the things above, not the things of the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with God in Christ. When Christ, who is your life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. Now verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, endless, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Then verse 6, very important. For which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of unbelief, if the Greek says, or disobedience. Now, people, that is... Um, that is something that we must deal with quickly. The, when we believe in Jesus Christ, what happens? Christ represents, or the whole world is represented in Christ. But the moment you believe in Jesus, you grab a hold of, with a purpose to make use of Jesus. Then what Christ stands for, comes and indwells you, and what, what is done is manifested in your life and you stand sinless before God. But if you reject Jesus Christ, then you grab a hold of, with a purpose to make use of, the only other thing that there is, which is your human effort, which is the law system. And you again stand before God in a law system. It's like the Garden of Eden. It's like Adam again. He was in a place where he could either eat of the tree of life or tree of the eat, uh, tree of the eat, eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So what are you going to eat of? And that will have effect in your life. If you eat of the tree of life, what will happen? You will live forever and have an immortal life. In Jesus Christ, that is, how do we eat? Jesus says, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, and read John chapter 6, it says, then you believe in me. The way we eat of Jesus' flesh and drink his blood is to believe what it stands for. Now, that is very important. And if you don't do that, you grab a hold of the law. And if you, if you come through the law, the wrath of God comes upon the people of unbelief, which has got these things in their life. It doesn't say that the, the wrath of God comes upon every person that has got a wrong desire. Your deed is not what qualifies you for the wrath of God. What qualifies you for the wrath of God is your unbelief in Jesus Christ. And once you've got unbelief in Jesus Christ, the only other thing that God in His righteousness looks at is your effort to see if you qualify. And Obviously, you're not going to qualify. So, the wrath of God comes upon the people who don't believe because of their inability to be righteous. And God even provided a way unto righteousness, which is Jesus. Amen. So, know this, that Jesus Christ did what He did for the whole world, on behalf of the whole world. He removed the sin of the whole world. How did He remove the sin of the whole world? By taking away the law. How did He take away the law? Colossians Chapter 2, verse 14. He took, the, he took the, the, um, the doctrine. Now, that is so powerful. He took the doctrine of the law and nailed it to the cross. That's what the Greek literally says. He took the doctrine of the law and he nailed it to the cross for who, so that whosoever believes that can have life. Amen. So, um, when, let's go to Hebrews quickly. Hebrews chapter... Uh, let me find the right place there. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Let's talk about him as a high priest. So, know this, 
that he's a high priest, what he did, he does, he does on behalf of the whole world, whosoever believes this, um, you know, has got access into it. Amen. And, you know, um, do yourself a favor and just watch the movie The Matrix again. You know, it's such a wonderful movie. I watched it uh, yesterday. And the whole gospel is in the thing. You know, when the guy believed, he discovered who he really was. And he could be the Savior. You know, he could bring salvation. If we can believe, if you don't believe, you're going to live in the dream world. And the dream world is this law system. But when you believe, you enter into reality. And by your free will, you say, I only want to know the truth about who I am. And the only truth we can know about ourselves is how, what God has done for us in Christ. And when we believe that what is done for us comes alive in our hearts. Amen. We must know this, this for sure, that the gospel is not just a theory. It's a reality that needs to be manifest in our lives. Amen. Not by our power, but by simply believing what God has done for us. Now, let's get back to commitment and God's faithfulness. Remember, God's faithfulness and God's commitment, the power of His commitment towards you is directly linked to the power of His commitment, the Father's commitment to Jesus, or God's commitment to, the, to, to, to being human. So, for God not to be committed to you, Jesus needs to cease to exist. For He is, for in Him, God and man has been came into perfect unity and we are called to the fellowship that there is in His Son. The fellowship we have in His Son with God and being divine and godly. So for God not to be committed to you, He needs to cease to, uh, Jesus needs to cease to exist. Right. Hebrews chapter 4 from verse 14. It says here, listen to this. It says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our profession or acknowledgement, the Greek says. Then verse 5, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like us, and yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we, might have, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now, what does that mean? That is very simple. What he's saying here is that Jesus is a high priest. He went and passed through the heavens. It means that he took the human race into the heavens. He took you into the heavens and placed you in the highest, uh, um, in the highest place with his son. Okay, pa- passed through the heavens. Now verse 15, he says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like us, um, as yet without sin. So what is it saying? It is saying that our high priest is making intercession for us um, on the basis of his perfection as a human being. So God's commitment towards you is based 100% on the sinlessness of Jesus. God seeing you as sinless and making you really sinless is 100% in accordance to Jesus being sinless. So God being faithful towards you, God being committed towards you to see you as righteous, holy, blameless is 100% settled and founded 
in Jesus Christ being without sin. Now, He was a human being, being without sin, so that He could aid us as human beings. Amen. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5, from verse 1. We're just going to read on there. We're going to read up to verse 10. It says, For every high priest taken from among, among men is ordained for men in the things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for he himself also is, com- um, is compassed with infirmities. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, also for himself to offer for sins. And no man takes this honor unto himself, but, that, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Now, just look at me. <clears throat> what he is saying here is, that the high priest that there was, was ordained of God. So they came and they sacrificed concerning the sins of people before God and the high priest Aaron and those people. They had to sacrifice even for their old sins. And they couldn't just decide by themselves, well, I'm going to be a high priest. It is one that is called of God. It says in verse 4 here, And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Then verse 5, very important. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but that he said unto him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he said also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the day of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong cries and tears unto him, that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he uh, in that he feareth, though he were a son, yet learnt obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto them that obey him or believe upon him. Now that is so, so powerful. Now let me just explain that it sounds very complicated. Please, I want to encourage you. When it comes to the, when it comes to the gospel, don't have your relationship through Bertie Brits. <laughs> Go and read the book for yourself. Why should I only be the only one that enjoys this? Go and read the book for yourself. Go and read this with understanding and say, Lord, thank you. You know, let me tell you, you are not, uh, uh, um, you are not stupid. If you can, if you go and buy a house, you read a contract and you understand what the thing says. And if you, I mean, so many things. We, I've seen people with degrees, but they struggle to understand the Bible. No, just read what is written. It's very simple. It's, it's like when it comes to, to, uh, um, to the fulfillment of the law. You don't need a degree. You don't need the, to be very clever to understand that the law has passed away. You just take Matthew chapter 5 from verse 14 and you just read and with normal, you can be a heathen. Just with understanding the English language, without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, just by what's written there, you can understand. Now, how much more us, who believe and has the Holy Spirit, can we not understand and comprehend the, uh, um, the simplicity of the gospel? What Jesus said here is so simple. He said, listen man, there was a high priest of God chosen to, 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 
to minister to God concerning the sins of the people to bring sacrifices. In the same way, Jesus was chosen of God when He said, You are my beloved Son, and you are a, a, a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek forever to be the author of eternal salvation for man. That's what's written there. I didn't interpret it even. It's just what's written. So what does it mean? It means that Jesus Christ is your representative forevermore and He's the author of your eternal salvation because He's a high priest forever in human flesh seated at the right hand of God making intercession for you forever. The problem that we have with the teaching of intercession is that we try to make ourselves intercessors. No, the whole intercessor teaching in the Bible is pointing to Christ, being our intercessor forever. The only way in which you can be an intercessor is to go and preach the gospel to somebody. Where you come and intercede for him and bring the gospel to him and tell him about his great intercessor, which is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I'm not saying you cannot pray. If you want to pray, pray, please. But I I just want to mention this thing of intercession. He is our intercessor. Making intercession for us forever. In what order? In the order of an endless life. Forever standing in perfection concerning man. You know what he says there is that the high priests in the Old Testament couldn't be high priests forever because they had sin. And then they died because of the sin in their own lives. So they made intercession for people, but from a sinless, from a sinful point of view, making, making for himself, first bringing a sacrifice for himself, then for the people and all that. It was just a type and a shadow of the real thing. But when Jesus Christ came, he came in the power of being sinless. Let's just find that, that, that verse again here. Um, where's, oh man, can you believe it? Ah, I'm not going to find it right now, but I've just read it there. It says that Jesus Christ came and He's the author of salvation. He came and He brought, because of His endless life, He brings salvation for us. So God's commitment towards you is in the power of Jesus Christ having an endless life. Hallelujah. In His perfection. God's commitment to man is founded in the perfection of Christ. Hallelujah. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. And we read from verse 15. It says, And it is yet more evident, for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there arise another priest, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. Then let's go to verse 25. It says, wherefore he is also, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) That is good news, man. That makes me very, very happy. You don't have to, we're not going to turn the Bible, I just want to read this to you. Just listen without reading, just close your eyes, listen to these words. From verse 15 it says, And if, and it is yet far more evident, it is far more 
evident, more evident than, you know, that the priesthood of Christ is more evident even than the priesthood of Aaron. It says it's far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there arise another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, that doesn't come out of genealogy, but after the power of an endless life. Now what God said here is, listen, I'm going to make a high priest that will live forever, that cannot die. And he is the one that I choose to be your high priest and representative of man. It says, uh, um, but of the power of an endless life, for he testifies, you are a priest forever of the order of Melchizedek. Why is he a priest forever? Wherefore, he is able also, because of his immortality, he is able also to save them to the uttermost. <laughs> it's not just a uh, 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 scrape by, get into heaven by the skin of your teeth type of gospel. It is a save to the uttermost. Now what does he refer to when he says you will be saved to the uttermost? It means that he in this endless life makes intercession for you forevermore, even to the point that he will save your mortal body and make you immortal. <laughs> that is to be saved to the uttermost. It's not just saved from your, from your fears. It's not the salvation that Paul only talks of being content in the situation where you are in. It is a place where there will come a salvation of the planet. Where the planet, because this planet waits for the glorification of human flesh. Do you know why the planet, planet waits for the, the, the salvation unto the uttermost, which is also can be referred to where I started off in 1 Corinthians, where it says that He will, even until the last day, uh, um, confirm us as blameless. That, that actually talks about receiving immortality. In the last day we'll stand blameless because of God's commitment towards man, because of the immortal life that is um, in the body of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Because of all of that, we stand blameless before God. And in that day, He will come and save us to the uttermost. And this planet waits for the glorification of the human flesh. Do you know why this planet waits for this? Because we are made of the dust of this earth. And this earth is so glad that, <laughs> that we are made of this planet. Because when we are glorified then planet inside us will also be glorified and then this nature and this planet will also come into the glorious liberty of us. Hallelujah. Amen. Let me tell you something. When it comes to provision financially, I've come to a revelation that, realize, that I, where I realize God meets our needs and He gives us the desires of our heart just now. That's what He does. But the full provision that comes through the cross cannot be manifested in this world. For this planet does not possess the resources to even provide one-tenth or a, a millionth of what Jesus Christ gave. There's not enough gold and oil and diamonds, if we just talk about finances now, to provide just a little bit of what's supposed to come to one Christian. We will have to have a new planet. Where there's a place, and I know this is just typology and, and, and those type of things, but where the foundations of buildings is made out of diamonds, man. 
a different way of thinking, a different way of living. So hallelujah, don't even try to see that we're going to now or be uh, uh, upset if you don't see the and try to find fault with yourself. That's actually what I want to say. If you don't see the full manifestation of what the Bible talks about in the return of Jesus Christ manifesting now in your body, don't try to find fault with yourself. Because you'll find fault all the time. Because the Bible talks about a groaning inside us. And even a groaning of nature. Now, I want to tell you, if nature waits and groans right now and says, well, I'm waiting for my glorification because there's something more that will manifest in my body which is already possessed and contained inside Christians because we've got this treasure inside earthen vessels. I see that they've got the Spirit. That Spirit is now already poured out on the planet. It's poured out in people's hearts and then that Spirit will make the truth of the commitment of God towards man manifests in all of our lives. Everybody sees it, I see it, but there's times when we groan. When we see, I'm not saying moan, I'm just saying groan. Where we see, you know, we are persecuted for the gospel's sake. People bad mouth, people say things. There's not always all the money that they're supposed to be in. And we sometimes go through some hard times. And in that time, there's a groaning. Waiting for what? Waiting for that full manifestation. Now, if nature groans, then we must go and say, well, you know, because nature has got some need, it means there's something wrong with nature and nature has sinned. Where's nature sinned? It's never sinned. There's nothing wrong with nature. There's nothing wrong with the planet concerning works and deeds because this planet doesn't have a law by which it's supposed to live. It's dead. But this planet groans. So in the same way we groan, the fact that there's a shortcoming in your life is not a sign of God not being faithful towards you, proclaiming you as sinless, guiltless. Amen. Hallelujah. So, this is God's commitment. I just want to read verse 25. Let's just put verse 25 on there for us again. Uh, Hebrews 7 verse 25. It's such a powerful scripture. It says, Wherefore He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He liveth to make intercession, He ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest, verse 26, became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needed not daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for His own sins, and then for the people's, for this He did once when he offered him up. So what he says is, our high priest is such a perfect high priest. You know, because of the imperfection of the high priest of the Old Testament, they couldn't bring a sacrifice that could for once cleanse people for all. They had to sacrifice again and again for the thing didn't work. But Jesus was perfect, sinless, separated from sinners, went into the heavens, made higher than the heavens, and he through one sacrifice perfected us forever and He's not going to (laughs) die. Hallelujah. That's God's commitment towards you. Now let's talk about our commitment towards God. Let's go to Hebrews. How much time is left? 20 minutes. Okay. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 14. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 14. 
let's go to uh, verse 13. It says, but, um, but exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any one of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, that is a very, very powerful. It says you exhort one another daily. So, what is supposed to happen? Daily, we are supposed to exhort one another. What does exhort mean? It doesn't mean rebuke because somebody's done something wrong. That's not what it means. It means exhort. The, the, the word prophecy, the Bible says prophecy is there for edification, exhortation and comfort. And prophecy is taking the oracles of God, taking the Old Testament scriptures and interpreting, interp- interpreting it into Christ, predicting our future out of what Christ has done. So, exhortation is to take the gospel and apply it to somebody's life. So he says, daily exhort one another, but exhort one another daily, what it's called today, lest in one of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So when somebody falls into sin, uh, and that is unbelief, let's exhort him every day, now, let's give one another this gospel of grace, all the time. Why? Verse 14, for we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. So what is our faithfulness and our commitment towards God? Our commitment towards God is to believe this gospel of grace until the end. And not to partake of the gospel of grace and fall under the law. There are many people that are scared to preach the scriptures, but I want to tell you, it's in the Bible. This is what it says. It says, For we are made partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. So we are, now you might say, but Bertie, don't have any part in Christ. No, no, we, are, we have part in Christ. Now already, when we believe, because His Spirit indwells us, and it says, we know that we are of Him, and that He lives in us, if we have His Holy Spirit. But when it talks about your partakers of Christ, means we will be partakers of that immortal life of Christ. So it says here, if we, what we, the confidence we had in the beginning, when we believed the gospel, we keep that to the end. We're not going to fall back on that. We're not going to go back under the law. And that's why I want to tell you, my friend, if you're in a law place, there's one of two things you do. You either make a difference or you leave. Amen. Because you're either going to make an impact on them or they're going to make an impact on you. And I want to tell you, if you're in a place where you are under laws and rules and condemnation and all those type of things, My friend, take, if you feel, well, I don't have the boldness to leave, I'm so full of fear, take time, study the gospel, hear the gospel of of God's unconditional love, that that gospel can work power in you either to do one of the two things, to make an impact where you are in the church or in the place where you are, and to bring forth uh, the the gospel of grace there, um, and to shine your light there, or, my friend, that you can have the power to say, well, I'm packing up this stuff and I'm leaving. Amen. So, be in a place where you can be exhorted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let's, let's just read this again from verse 12. It says, let, let's read from verse 10. It says, Wherefore, I was grieved with, the, with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So, I have... So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be 
in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Look at that word there. It says unbelief. In departing from the living God. So what is he talking about departing from the living God? It means unbelief, not believing this gospel of grace. But exhort one another daily, while it's called today, lest any one of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin or the law. Verse 14, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end. Then it says verse 15, While it says, Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the day of provocation. For some, when they had hardened, did provoke, how be not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. So in other words, it, 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 a people died. People died because they didn't continue to believe. They believed when God spoke to Moses. They came out of Egypt, but they died in the wilderness. Departing from believing the blood that was applied to the door. And the land that was slain, that let them out of that bondage. So what happened is, Jesus Christ came, they let them out, He let them out, and then the promised land speaks of uh, that immortal life, or those, um, that is, the, the immortal life and heaven and the return of Jesus and the new planet and all those type of things. We need to continue to believe in Jesus. And that, that He, that the gospel of grace is the only gospel. Amen. So I want to tell you, your commitment is to this gospel. So let, and and for you to stay committed to this gospel, you must have the goodness of God in front of your eyes continually. Because you, for man to be committed to something, it needs to be good. We find people that get married and then they're not committed to each other anymore because they start to see the bad in each other. And then the, 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 the guy leaves his wife and goes and fools around with another woman. Why? Because he starts to see the good in her. And he follows after goodness. Because goodness leads us. So he sees goodness in something else. So the moment you start to see bad things in the gospel, the law in the gospel, you know, condemnation, judgment, all those type of things, when you start to see that, you'll be led away from that. So my friend, keep in the gospel of God's grace. Keep on looking at it because that will draw your heart to follow after that and to be committed to that. That's what Paul said. Let's read another verse there. Um, Hebrews chapter... I did read 3 now. Let's go to 10. 10 verse 23. 10 verse Verse 22, it says, let us, verse 22, Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith, without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another... Um, And so much the more as you see the day approaching. So what is he saying here? Listen to what Paul says. Or I say Paul, the writer of the book of Hebrews. He says, let us draw near. In other words, let us grab hold of this gospel message. He says, then once we've grabbed hold of this gospel message, let's hold fast to the profession of our faith or the acknowledgement of what we believe. 
without wavering, for God is faithful. To, to do what? To bring that immortal life that He promised to you. Amen. And then He says, And let us consider one another, or let, yeah, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. So He says, listen man, provoke one another or bring forth good works in each other by this gospel and pushing each other towards only looking at this gospel of grace. Then he says, don't forsake the assembling together as a manner of some is, um, but uh, as some is, but exhort one another. So what he says is, what was the assembling of the brethren? It was not uh, a courtesy coming to church to just make the pastor not feel bad and to get rid of your guilt if you wouldn't go to church. They had gatherings and the purpose of this gathering was so that people could exhort one another in this gospel of grace and speak about this gospel. So many times the scripture has been used and said, come to church because you, you shouldn't neglect the gathering of the brethren. But provided that that gathering is... Uh, uh, holding fast to the profession of our faith, which was explained in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 1, especially verse 14, which is so powerful, which says, For by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Hallelujah! So people, we're grabbing a hold of this message. We're getting cell groups, churches and whatever that is inclined and with the whole focus and everything is to edify each other in this gospel. When we talk to each other, we talk to each other concerning this gospel, edifying each other in this gospel, so that we can stay faithful to this gospel and not go and fall into fornication with the law. Amen. So that our faithfulness is to continue to believe this gospel of grace. Amen. Isn't that powerful? Let's, let's just go and look at uh, uh, two other scriptures. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. Amen. That's why you say, Bertie, you know, sometimes you're radical about this message. Um, you know, you all the time uh, uh, see, uh, uh, I mean, I mean if, if it's just white or black, there's no gray area. That's right, my friend. There's no gray area in this thing. You say, oh, you know, but we must make, make place for other people and what. We can make place for people, but we can't make place for nonsense doctrine. End of it. And we can see that, well, basically you don't have to turn there. I just want to read the scripture here quickly in Colossians. Um, Colossians chapter 1. Chapter 2, verse 14. Listen to this. It says here, verse 13, And you being dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, has He quickened together with Him. How? By forgiving you all trespasses. How has He forgiven you all trespasses? By blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. That word ordinances is the word doctrine. Or teaching. So He says, He has forgiven you all your sins. By doing what? By taking the doctrine of the law and nailing it to the cross. Now, we want to receive immortality and walk in the power of God and we want to make room for the doctrine that makes us guilty. 
No, my friend. We've got no room for that. I'm sorry, we've got no room for that. Just forget about it. We don't make any room for that. We detest it. We, we hate that doctrine. We see it as dung. We treat it as dung. Listen, my friend, if I tell you, here is a, a piece of steak. It is the nicest steak. The only little thing is, we've had a little bit of dung on the one corner, but we've scraped it off and rinsed it. So don't worry, you can just, you know, choose the good part and eat the good part. Are you going to eat it? Well, I will not eat it. I throw the whole thing away. The Bible says, cast out the bondwoman with her child. We're not going to make room for the law. We make no room for the, for the message of, you know, by your works and that type of thing. No room at all. And that's what it says here in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. It says, stand fast therefore. Um, you can put it on there, vessel. Galatians 5 verse 1. It says, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. So there's a faithfulness and a commitment that's supposed to come from us towards God. Now that is also a fruit of hearing the gospel. But it's something that comes from us. And our faithfulness is to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. For we know that if we are going to circumcise ourselves or be under the law, it's not as if, oh well, that law is just not going to work. It's not that the law is not going to work, but what Christ has done for you is not going to work. Now that's something serious. And there's some people that are scared to preach that. There are people that preach, you know, if, you, if you're too much in the gospel of grace, you know, we must make sure that we're going to be saved by, uh, um, you know, allowing some law. Let me tell you something. Let's not lose our salvation by making a demand on the law and our own works. You might say, but Bertie, you know, we cannot judge people in such a way. Let's just make sure. Let's just make sure and not, and not fool around with the law. Yeah, but Bertie, I'm sure the grace of God and the mercy. Let's make sure we are saved. Hallelujah. The Bible clearly says, and nobody, you can read the Greek until you blew in the face. The Bible says clearly that you need to believe from the beginning until the end to be a partaker of Christ and in that redemption. Paul said it very clearly. We're going to end off with that scripture now. So it says, stand fast therefore in the liberty with which Christ has made us free. You will not find Paul preaching the message of, oh, you know, well, you know, let's not offend somebody. Let's not you know, let's just be, ah, oh, you know, we don't want to offend somebody. Let's just do the thing right. And, you know, God's gracious and rubbish. Paul called the law system done. Let's go there quickly in Philippians. I've got five minutes left. Philippians chapter 3. Let me just make sure here. Yes, 3 from verse 7, I think. Now listen to what Paul writes here. He says, But what things were gained to me, those things I counted loss. This is verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those things I counted loss for Christ. 
yet doubt, doubtless I counted all the law things but loss. Why? For the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. Why? That I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Why? That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Do you want to know the power of His resurrection? Count the law done, my friend, and believe in Christ and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. If by any means I may attain unto the resurrection of the dead. So what did he say here? He said, listen, I counted the law but done. Why? That I may experience the power of his resurrection. You don't come and count the law uh, wonderful. (laughs) And see some good there and make a compromise so that you might experience the power of the resurrection, you count the Lord done, so that you may be found in God with the righteousness of God, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ. Why? That I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. So he said, I, I, I didn't want this. Listen to what he said here. If by any means I might attain. So it's almost as if he wasn't very sure. He said, listen, I don't want the law system at all whatsoever. I only want grace and I'm only saved by the grace of God and the work of the cross. And I believe it this way and then I have no room for the law whatsoever that I, so that if I die and Jesus returns that I might have passed in the resurrection unto immortal life with Jesus Christ. If I may by any means... (laughs) Hallelujah. So I want to tell you, my friend, when it comes to salvation, the only way you are sure is by staying in the gospel of God's unconditional love, my friend. The gospel of grace. And we stick and stay committed to this gospel. His, committed is, his commitment is in this gospel. And our commitment is, is in believing in His commitment and what He's done for us. In Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. My friend, if this sounds radical to you, it is. If this sounds as if I'm saying only by grace we are saved, it's exactly what I say. There is no other way. Well, Bert, you want to tell me that we then need to believe in Jesus and in the gospel of grace to be saved? Yes. That's what I say. Hallelujah. That's why we are radical concerning this thing. And we preach this gospel. And our passion is towards the whole world. That people can hear this gospel. That's why we, in, our, in my heart, I, I feel hurt when I see people not hearing this gospel and when they are deceived concerning this gospel. Now, I'm not saying, listen to me, I'm not saying that if people have got some wrong understanding of a scripture that is going to hell. It's not what I'm saying. But what I say is put no confidence in the flesh, man. But put all your confidence in Christ. Hallelujah. So now we know the commitment of God and we know our commitment towards the gospel. 
Hallelujah. We get people that only preach the commitment of God and not the commitment, our commitment towards this gospel. But our commitment towards this gospel is what all these books that Paul wrote was all about. is to get people not to fall from the gospel of grace. So that Christ will not benefit them. You know, he says, if, if you are under the law, Christ will not benefit you. If you go and get circumcised, it will not benefit you. 